This is Sasha. This is Sam. When they first met, it was just small talk about where to find the best coffee, the new high top she just bought, a book of poetry he found at a used bookstore, a new local band she discovered just last weekend, a zombie apocalypse movie he saw last night with some friends from his martial arts class, her homemade screen print t-shirt, and his favorite Chinese restaurant, which made them both hungry. So they got two orders of Mandarin chicken with brown rice, and then Sam opened his fortune cookie. Life's journey ends with a new beginning. Whoa, that's deep. But in the real world, life's journey ends with an ending. When you die, you're done. Well, yes, your body no longer works, but your soul continues to exist, don't you think? Your soul? No, I don't believe in ghosts. We're physical creatures, material objects, just a collection of highly organized atoms. When your brain flatlines, that's it, game over. So you don't believe in life after death? No. I mean, it's a comforting thought, but there's just no scientific evidence for it. I'd rather face the real world than believe in a fairy tale. Yeah, I agree with you, Sam. It's best to face reality, but it may be that life after death is reality. I mean, think about it. If life just ends at death, then everything we do or say comes to nothing. What meaning or purpose can our lives possibly have? Well, I guess my life has whatever meaning I choose to give it. I personally believe in truth, beauty, science, making the world a better place, saving the environment, freedom of speech, and you know, tolerance. Yes, that's all well and good. But what does all that matter if it ends in nothingness? What are your thoughts about God? Which God? There are millions of gods. The God that's in the Bible. It's been proven that the Bible is just a bunch of mythology written by ancient desert nomads. But you know, if faith in God makes you feel good, I won't argue with that. But I personally prefer more of a rational, open-minded approach to life. Here's what I believe, Sasha. You shouldn't think anything is true unless it's been scientifically proven. But has that belief itself been scientifically proven? Um... Sam, you and I look at life very differently. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like we're from different worlds. Not different worlds different worldviews. A worldview is the set of lenses through which you see the world around you. It's a web of habit-forming beliefs that helps you make sense of all your experiences. Through your worldview, you interpret life in a particular way. It affects how you think, how you feel, and how you live from day to day. To understand what your worldview is, think carefully about the big questions of life. Does God exist? How did everything begin? Who am I? Why am I here? Am I living a good life? What happens after I die? Cabbages and puppies don't think about this stuff, but people do. Reflecting on these questions is part of what makes us human. In fact, every one of us has a worldview. What's yours? Cabbages and puppies don't think about this stuff, but people do, and you're a people. And that's awesome because today we're gonna to be talking about creation, the second Sunday in a five Sunday series we're calling a biblical worldview church. And I have to tell you, I care about you. I care about your family, I care about um, how you would answer these deeper questions of life, especially when your kids are young and are at home. And I care about you and I'm gonna fight for you and fight for you to have the kind of foundation in your life and family and for us as a church to be a biblical worldview church such that we endeavor to see all of life from a biblical perspective. And we, we commit ourselves to that because frankly, I don't think it's going so well in culture right now. Frankly, I don't know that people know how to answer those questions. It's like a movie they showed up to uh, two hours in or maybe an hour in and it's a three hour movie. And they're not sure what the plot is and what the larger story is. And so what we wanna champion as a church is we wanna champion the larger story so that whoever journeys with us will never ever be lost to the larger story again. You know, to help us do this, 
Um, you've been given, and you will be given every Sunday in this series, even if you forget it. We got plenty of them. So you've been given this little packet, a, a little uh, sleeve, and inside the sleeve there are four, uh, five cards, and each card corresponds to a Sunday in October. It's great that we have five Sundays in October because we've got five cards, right? And so it's perfect, lines up great. And so this Sunday, like I said, we're on the creation side of it. Last Sunday, we just opened up the series. And we wanted something that was simple and easy from age 7 to 77. And so um, we like this to be a reason why you have conversations with people. Um, we want to steer you away, not, not that tracks are bad, but we want to steer you away from just little short explanations of things. We want, we want you to have something that will help you get into the thought processes and conversations with other people. In other words, how you answer these questions will determine where you, what worldview that you have, okay? Uh, so you don't have to ask someone, you know, what's your worldview, just ask them the questions. And when they answer it, you'll know what their worldview is because of how they answer the questions. And why is that important? Because worldviews get lived out. When you believe something and you answer a question a certain way and you believe that, you're gonna live that out. And one of the biggest deceptions that I have to take on today is in the area of creation because there's basically two big worldviews out there. There's a, a biblical worldview where we came from, we're supernaturally and specially created by God. And there's a secular worldview that says you're a product of time and chance, okay? And when we live our life and we take our identity and, and our definition of who we are, from a worldview that says it's all random, it's all based on chance, you're going to live that out and you're gonna create your own meaning and, and you're gonna you're live your life in, in a certain way because of the fact that there's really no designer, therefore there's no, there's no one I'm accountable to. I'm just free to improvise my part in life. And boy, we're seeing that. And so a worldview is a lens that we look through to view the world. And we wanna reshape our lenses in such a way that we are looking from a biblical worldview. I like what Nancy Barca says, without a biblical worldview thinker or without Christian thinkers, much will be left unsaid for there's no one else to say it. And as we champion it, you champion it, it won't be championed. And so there's a sense of urgency in all of it. And so all worldviews deal with the questions that are found on your cards. They all do. Why is that? Why, why do all worldviews, regardless of what it is, why do they all want to ask these questions? Because there's a need within all of us to know that this is all heading somewhere. And so regardless, of a naturalistic worldview, a secular worldview, a biblical worldview, a theist worldview, it doesn't matter. Everybody's asking these questions. It tells you something about what's important to us. And so the Bible, I'm contending and arguing that the Bible gives us this story where there's slide number five, if you would, for me. There's creation, and that's Genesis chapter one and two. And there's no passage of the Bible, no section of the Bible that has been allegorized and mythologized like chapters one through 11 of Genesis. Today, I'll talk to you a little bit about why I believe in a literal Adam and Eve. And if we don't, it spells trouble down the line. I'll explain it to you. I want to talk to you a little bit about what it means to be created by God. We're not a product of macroevolution. Micro, fine. Micro, no way. One, one type to another type. A, a fish to a bird. Not happening. Okay? Absolutely no evidence for that. Okay, we got to see we're specially created by God. We got to talk about that. We got to talk about the fact that we're made in the image of God. And that makes you special. You know, when uh, my daughter, um, Megan, two or three years of age, um, you know, she, she'd hang around dad a little bit. And I'm like, and I want to really like, build her up from an early age. And so I look at her and I say, Megan, I'd say, and I'd just try to come up with all the big words I could think of, you know, just try to build her up and let her know, you know, she's made in the image of God and she has worth. And so, I, I, Megan, you're, you're, you're um, uh, astronomical, you're, you're galactical, you're orbital. Megan, you're a star. Like that, i just do it kind of like that. And she'd shrug her little two-year-old shoulders and say, oh, dad. 
I tried to do that with Will. He was too busy chasing frogs. And I tried to do that with Levi, and he was too busy chasing Will. So that's kind of how that went. You, this morning, I want to tell you, my congregation, the Lord's congregation, you're astronomical, you're galactical, you're orbital, you're a star, not in a literal sense, a metaphorical sense. You're special, you're, you're such a highlight of God's creation. And I don't know, I think we got it, when we go to church, there has to be moments when we understand that when God created, it was all good for everybody. He said it's good, and when he, and when he made man, he said it's very good. And a church has to emphasize this. Yeah, I know there's a fall. That's next week. But we're talking about creation this week. And you are special. You have so much worth and value. And, and you're um, blessed with uh, a great mind. And you've been given a body that's allowed you to come to this place. You've been able to think and take in information and make decisions. And do things with your life and prioritize, okay? God has so blessed you. And so you're created by God and you belong to him. And my big proposition this morning is that you are, you have so much worth. And I'll demonstrate that to you. Of course, rebellion, uh, if we go to slide 12, just to let you know where we're going, slide 12. We got to talk about rebellion. Satan has sabotaged our story. We aligned ourselves with his purposes. We chose to pull out of a right relationship, right relationship with God. This is Genesis 4 through Revelation 20. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3. The next slide or, or slide 18, we'll talk about redemption. This is Genesis 4 through Revelation 20, that we are not worthless. God refuses to junk what he's made. He hangs to, onto this planet in and through Jesus, refusing to let go of it, purposing to redeem it and restore it, which is the slide number 22, which is the final um, uh, fifth Sunday in this series called Restoration. And what is restoration? It's when all of life, is brought under the, do, the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are becoming like him now, but we will be like him then, and all of creation will be restored, and that's the larger story. And so this morning, you are awesome. If we go back to slide number six, um, we're gonna see a very powerful verse, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, okay, time and matter and space, God, he creates. And I love how the Bible starts this great um, story. It doesn't give, you know, these great apologetic reasons for the existence of God. It merely assumes it. In other words, how could anybody looking at the world conclude otherwise? He's a central character in the story. In the beginning, God, he's the main actor. It's more about him than it's about us. Has anybody ever looked at you and said, you know what, Joey or, or uh, Tom or Bob, the world doesn't revolve around you. Hey, did your mom or dad ever tell you that? The world doesn't revolve around you. And at first you might be a little offended by that and, and thinking about it, but you, you know, really it's a relief, the story it's not so much about me, it's about God. It's not so much about God's plan for my life, it's about my life for God's plan. You see that? It's not so much about me and my story and my life, it's God's story and my life for his story. And that's the beauty of a biblical worldview. You see, it says in the beginning, God created. So this is not a result of chance. It's not a result of an accident. You are not an accident. The world is not an accident. It is not a random forces that, that have come together and that's a secular worldview and it's probably the greatest deception of our time. But when you think about the fact that if God created, it all belongs to him and it's just common sense. If he made it, it's his. If you made it, it's yours, right? It's just common sense. And since God made everything, it all belongs to him because it wouldn't exist without him. And so you belong to God this morning. You're his and you're astronomical, you're galactical, you're orbital, you're a star. Why? You're made by him. You're made in his image. 
you know, um, everything came from God. And some, some want to talk about a big bang. And if that's how you want to describe creation, be my guest. That's fine. But here's what you also have to agree. Is that a big bang needs a big banger. Isn't that great West Virginia logic? Isn't that awesome? A big bang needs a big banger. There's someone that banged it, right? And so something, some force randomly did not create this. No, no, a someone created out of nothing. And, and besides, when we're told that there was an explosion, how does nothing explode unless God made something? You understand? And so God created it. Let it ring through the um, hallways of this building and through, the, uh, and through the hallways of our mind. God created and he created a fully mature universe. Some would say it had the appearance of age. Some are nervous about that terminology. Let's just call it a mature universe. When Adam was made, he wasn't an embryo. He wasn't a newborn. Um, he was a full-grown man. And everything was fully grown, fully developed. And in the case of humans and animals, we have the capacity to co-create other um, offspring. And God gave us that ability. And so God created the world. And the light came from the distant stars. It was present on earth the first week that earth was created. Because he creates this light in transition. And so when we look at Adam, he was able to walk. He was able to talk. He was able to care for the garden. The fruit trees were already bearing fruit. And so God creates this, this universe in a fully mature, fully formed state from the very beginning. You know, one line of astronomical data concerns the speed of light. And the fact that we can see distant galaxies that are light years away seems to argue that the universe at least is millions of years old because it takes light coming from those galaxies. It takes it a long time to get to us. It takes us millions and perhaps even billions of years, depending on how far you telescope out, right? And so light travels in a vacuum at a speed of 186 miles per hour. And this is, uh, this is the state that we measure it today. Could the speed of light been different then? P perhaps, possibly. But if the speed of light is constant, one um, person observes. And if the light we observe coming from the stars actually comes from those stars. And third, if our distance measurements for those stars are substantially accurate, then the universe by these standards, by the light travel time coming to us from these most distant objects, makes it 10 billion years of age, right? And so the, the age of the universe by this mode of measurement and reckoning is at least more than that. Scientifically, we say yes, but supernaturally, we have to say, wait a second, not so fast. And here's why. If an observer, a scientist would time travel back to day seven of a new creation, and they try to determine Adam's age or the age of a rock or the age of a star. The scientists would rely on today's human growth rates or rates of radioactive decay, right? Or the speed of light. They would rely on today's modes and methods of measurement. And they would calculate how long it would take for this state of maturity to develop. And they would come to a wrong conclusion. Why? Because they haven't added in some things. They haven't added in the fall and what that did to the planet. They haven't added in the biblical evidence of the flood, the global flood, where it's not a, a lot of time and a little bit of water. It's a lot of water in a little bit of time at various states of pressure. And so we are living any effort to apply present processes and process rates to the creation are going to be inaccurate. You're never going to be able to nail that down. And so what I say to you this morning is that God created a universe, a cosmos, fully mature. In other words, Adam did not have to sit and wait for the light to arrive from millions and millions of miles away. 
Oh, I think I see one. Yep, there it is. No, 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 it was there. He could see it. The, the creation describes it. And so God makes a fully mature cosmos ready for life. And we can't use today's measuring standards in that context in a pre-fall world to make those kinds of measurements. We can't do that. And so when Jesus uh, makes wine at Cana of Galilee, it looked like the wine, it tasted like the wine had gone through this long process of fermentation when in reality the wine was only minutes old. It tasted like the best stuff, years of aging, only minutes old. And so just like Jesus um, created the wine with age, he was there at creation's uh, impetus and beginning, and he creates it with age, with maturity. And so we see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we see the heavens. What about the earth? What about the fossils? We got to talk about that. Darwin's tree of life indicated that you would get a branching pattern if all things evolved from a common ancestor. That you would have and expect thousands of intermediate life forms. And yet, church, hear me, they have never been found. They've never been found. The things appear in the fossil record as fully formed. There's no transitional representations that are there. It's interesting. Philip Johnson argues in, in his book, Darwin on Trial. And by the way, all the vestiges, all the Darwinian pillars are, have collapsed. We could go one by one. It's on its way out. The culture won't tell you this. There's leading scientists, biologists, paleontologists around the world who can tell you this is on this, this system, this explanation, this secular worldview is tried and found wanting. But those who control the outlets to this information, those who control the tenureships at the universities won't allow these alternative viewpoints because it goes against an anti creation it's anti-creation or it goes against a special creation of God he uh, Darwin admitted the problem he conceded the most serious objection to his theory is that and he thought that further discoveries would prove him right but they have not and he said it's the most threatening thing to his theory if these transitional forms are never found and so it's not pastors it's not parents that are the leading opponents against our Darwinian viewpoint or worldview. It's the fossil experts themselves and the fossils speak out. Like Nate was saying, the rocks speak out. They speak out and they speak a word. And if there was gradual change from the lowest forms of life to the highest, there should be an abundance of transitional fossils. And again, we're not seeing them. So think about what the leading worldview idea says about our origins and our creation. That, that it is asserted that a simple single cell creature spontaneously generated from primordial soup, the cell mutated and survived a very harsh natural environment Evolved into a species that could swim, then evolved into a species that could fly, all the while surviving while scales are not feathers, and feathers are not scales, and gills are not lungs, and lungs are not gills. Finding food, avoiding predators, and self-assembly to new DNA, and reproducing these mutated changes, etc., etc., etc. I think I, I'm going to go with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Over 140 years after Darwin, and there's not a shred of evidence to support macro-evolutionary macro theory. Friends, there is no missing link, okay? The whole chain is missing. The whole chain is not there. And we've got people with PhDs after their name that are telling you that this is the most viable theory of our origins. So people talk about fossils of millions of years. 
And, and I question the millions of years part, and I could give you other reasons for this. I'm just going to give you one primary reason here this morning. And it's a very scientific reason. And it's very simple, soft tissue in dinosaur bones. Well, Pastor, why is that so significant? Well, science estimates that the dinosaur ruled the earth for 150 million years until they were wiped out at 65 million years ago, possibly by an asteroid or comet that collided with the earth. This is the common worldview of our age. If this is your belief, slide 25 if you would for me. Slide 25. If this is your belief that you're not going to, then you're not going to look for soft tissue and dinosaur bones, right? It's not going to last that long. So obviously you're not going to look for that. You have a preconceived worldview that, that, that these things are millions of years old and there's no way that red blood cell evidence and that, that fleshy tissue is going to be found in ancient, uh, what, 65 million years uh, or even 150 million year old bones, right? It's not going to be there. We have anybody here who graduated from North Carolina State University? Anybody? NC State Wolfpack, right? It's the Wolfpack, right? Okay. Get this. Mary Schweitzer of North Carolina State University found soft tissue inside a T-Rex bone. Soft tissue. 65 million years. Soft tissue. Google it. Google it. It's not a hype story. It's all over the internet, okay? Soft tissue preserved inside the leg of an adolescent T-Rex unearthed in Montana. And Schweitzer said what we found was unusual because it was still soft and still transparent and still flexible. Can you believe this? The current evolutionary model says that the T-Rex became extinct 65 million years ago and soft tissue doesn't last anywhere that long. And when evolutionary scientists can't explain how soft tissue could have lasted millions of years, they have a conundrum because their model doesn't fit the facts anymore. It's not, they're not even being scientific. After Schweitzer's discovery, researchers looked for soft tissue in other fossils, and they found a lot of it in fossils that were allegedly 200 million years of age. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, what about, that's fossils, Pastor Joey, but what about the earth? Well, it's just right. The earth is just right. It, it, it has the marks of an artist's hand. And so it sits tilted precisely at 23 degrees, perfectly designed for life. It's balanced, they say, on a razor's edge. It's just right. If gravity was slightly less, we'd explode off the planet. If it was slightly more, we would implode into the ground. The size and the corresponding just right gravity force holds a thin layer of gases to protect us and allow us to breathe freely. The earth is placed at a just right distance from the sun and the other planets in our solar system. And, and if we were slightly closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were slightly further away, we would freeze. Just tweak the numbers by just a little. Turn the dial by one click. And the slightly elliptical shape of this Earth's orbit, which is nearly circular, but the slightly elliptical shape means that we enjoy a very narrow range of temperatures. And, this, and here in Indiana, there's, sometimes you wonder, right? But the speed of the Earth's rotation on its axis, completing one turn every 24 hours, means that the sun warms the planet evenly. And all of these values are just right. It's like we're a gigantic living spaceship going through space and every number is what it needs to be to incubate and protect and sustain life the dials are set too precisely to have been a random accident if there's a bang there's a banger somebody has monkeyed with the physics to make it work 
And when we look at the intricacies of this planet, we must conclude that somebody designed it. You know, if you go to slide number 26 for me. Slide 26, if you would, Mount Rushmore. Okay, you're on your hike in South Dakota. South Dakota, right? Mount Rushmore, yep. South Dakota, you're on your hike, and you see this incredible sculpture, right? Or this incredible work of art in the granite on the, on the mountainside. You pop, over the, pop open that, over that little hill, and there it is. And when you see that, you can conclude one of three things, right? You can conclude one of three things. First thing, you look at that and you say, well, isn't that incredible what nature did? That's the result of naturalistic causes. Pastor, you need to go back to grad school and study biology and, and geology, right? That's a naturalistic. Hey, listen, there's lightning. There's rain. Come on now, millions of years of lightning and rain and, and maybe tornadoes and cosmic solar storms. Hey, come on, pastor. Anything's possible. That's, that's a possible explanation for what we see here, a naturalistic explanation. And there's a second option you have. Well, it's an accident. Uh, some, some good old boys in South Dakota got a lot of dynamite together to have a party one weekend. Somebody hit the button, kablooey, bam, there it is. And now all that stuff was just blown away, and we have four faces. There they are. Okay, that's a possible explanation. Listen to me, church. It's possible, right? Possible. Not likely in my view, possible. Now you have a third option. Go to my next slide. Somebody who knew what he or she was doing got a hammer and a chisel, and they begin to work day by day on that sculpture. And not only, go back to the previous slide, not only do they have the ability, they have the awareness, the intelligence to know that these are four former U.S. presidents that are on that mountainside. And not only are they four former U.S. presidents, right? They're in chronological order based on depth, right? You've got, you got Washington right here, Jefferson, he's right there. You got Lincoln and you got Roosevelt in depth, one, two, three, and four, right? You can conclude that that was a, this is a result of naturalistic causes, thunder, lightning, millions of years. You can conclude it's a result of accidental, somebody hit the dynamite, blew it all the ground away, and that's what we got. Or you can conclude thirdly, that somebody who knows what they're doing chipped away everything that didn't look like a U.S. president, those four. When you come to the issues and questions of our earth, when you come to the issue and question of your body, when you come to the issue and question of the DNA and the cell, okay, the code and the DNA cell, you've got those three options. What do you think is the best way to answer the question about how that got there? And when you look at our planet and all the things, all the evidence that's here, some people are going to argue, well, pastor, it's millions and millions and millions of years, right? Anything can happen in millions of years. Well, if I go up in an airplane and I drop red, white, and blue confetti out of it at 1,000 feet, the chances of it assembling an American flag are probably not good. So the skeptic says, I know what I'll do. I'll go up higher and give it more time, right? More time doesn't help your argument. It defeats it. It goes the other way. It randomizes with more time. Natural laws that take effect in more time, right? I'll go up at 30,000 feet. I'll drop my red, white, and blue confetti, and I'll see if it'll assemble an American flag by the time it gets to the bottom. No, 
More time doesn't help your argument. It hurts it. You're defeating it. Okay? And so what I'm saying is that when we look at the, our world and we look at what God has made, is it a naturalistic explanation that explains it? Is it an accidental explanation that explains it? Or is it an intelligent designer who actually knew what he was doing when he made us? And I'm going to argue this morning for a biblical worldview that says you are specially created by God. He made you. You're astronomical. You're galactical. You're orbital. You're a star. Why? He stamped you with his image. Slide number eight, if you would, real quickly here. So God created mankind. Slide number eight. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're made in God's image. We reflect him. And we can only know ourselves if we know God. And without God, we no longer know who we are. We no longer know it. And if you're in God's image... It does make demands of us. Are we going to polish that image? Are we going to tarnish it? Are we going to shine brighter as God's image bears? Reflect him in a greater way? Are we going to, are we going to um, do things in our, in our life based on a, an errant worldview that says everything is random? It doesn't matter how I live my life. There's no d- d- designer creator anyway. Okay, are we just going to tarnish the image of God? See, if I believe like Sam in the video... On slide number three, if you would, for me. If I believe like Sam, and I have Sam's worldview, and that humans are a descendant of a tiny cell of primordial protoplasm, an arbitrary product of time and place and chance and natural forces, a grab bag of atomic particles, genetic substance who exists on a tiny planet in a minute solar system in a corner of a meaningless universe, and according to some of the most, the highest intellectuals of our, some of our prestigious Ivy League schools only slightly different from a banana or an amoeba coming from nothing going nowhere if this is my viewpoint what do you think I'm going to do when it comes to either either shining bright with the glory of God or tarnishing the glory of God in my life and if life is random and we're products of evolutionary chance with no purpose, no creator, no accountability, truth is relative, no absolutes, no standard, then the goal of life is self-satisfaction. It's instant gratification. Here's what it looks like. Sex, food, vacations, wardrobes, drugs, fame. And then in midlife, it's plastic surgery, it's sports cars, it's younger spouses to turn back the clock of youth. And if someone denies me what I want, there's no creator, there's no morality, there's no accountability. I'll be criminal if I have to to take it. And if I turn this worldview into public policy, it's easy to see why a nation is sinking into debt. Why? There's no tomorrow. There's no value in yesterday either. Let's just revision the past. Let's tell it so it makes you ashamed to be white or black. Let's tell it so that you're ashamed to be male or female. Let's tell it so you're ashamed to be patriotic. It's a worldview that gets lived out and it ripples out. If you have a low view of your origins and place no value on a creator who tells you who you are, you will convince yourself that you're on your own and you're free to improvise your part. You'll give life all the meaning that you can. You'll change your gender. You'll play God over life. You'll marry whoever you want, regardless of gender. You'll, you'll immerse yourself in endless pleasure. You'll, you'll punch holes in your body. You'll drug yourself into oblivion. You'll, you'll engage in endless sex acts. You'll drown yourself in porn to jolt you from the boredom. You'll mindlessly scroll, Netflix binge, junk food intake, video game play, party, get high every night of the week. Anything to feel to keep from being alone and lonely in this random universe. Listen, I'm not condemning those who hold a secular worldview. We're called to love those who espouse this view on your screen. And if that was my lens, I'd be right there with them. And sometimes my lens gets blurry and I start thinking like the world 
and even beginning to behave like the world. And I can honestly tell you that this morning. But then Jesus speaks to me and, ta- and he tells me, Nelson, look, get to the eye doctor, man. You've got to get your prescription reshaped. You've got to get the curvature of your lens in line with my curvature, man. Come on. You know better than this. And so we all have to get it reshaped. And this series is about reshaping the curve of the lens by which you see your life. And I want you parents to be in a position to have these conversations with your kids. I want to give you an alternative worldview. Something different from the secular worldview. Because I know the biblical worldview will position you to have human flourishing in your life. If you will live by it. And let your life subscribe to it. So I'm not condemning We would all live this way if this was what we thought about who we are. Well, what about Sasha's biblical worldview? Okay, slide number four, if you would, for me. Uh, Sasha's worldview, you know, humans, the Bible's worldview, the the, the humans are a special creation on the screen. They're a special creation of a good and powerful, intelligent designer who made them in his image with a unique capacity to think and feel and know things, to make decisions, to set above, they're set above all other life forms to observe all the rest of creation and take care of it, discovering how the world works, all the while engaging this designer in relationship, encountering his, his love in Jesus and through Jesus and changing the world for the better and fulfilling a God-given purpose minus the suffering eventually and on a new earth under the reign of Christ. And it all starts with In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and you were made in his image to shine. You are astronomical. You are galactical. You're orbital. You're a star. Metaphorically, you're you're one of the highlights of God's creation. You belong to him because he made you. And all of this, the good news, all of this is based on a literal Adam and Eve that we read about in the early chapters of Genesis. If you go to slide number nine for me quickly. Slide number nine, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Now I want you to stay with me right here and we'll bring this, I'm gonna conclude with a story. Uh, Scott Sanders shares his experience because his negative worldview was impacting his relationship with his 17 year old son it was, it was impacting him. And he goes on a hike to have some time with his son to figure out why him and his son are always fighting. You ever have a teenage son you're butting heads with? Do you ever think it might tie back to a bigger picture thing, maybe something bigger like a worldview? Well, it did in Scott's life. I'll tell you about it in just a second. But when we look at this, and, we, and I'll just tell you up front here this morning, Stonesville Community Church will always propose and argue and defend a literal Adam and Eve. This book of Genesis has been allegorized and mythologized, but we, what we see Adam and Eve doing is that they're, they're in a specific place and time. They, they, they do people things like they marry, they have children, they make choices, they tend gardens, they give names to animals, they converse with each other and with God. They are literal people. And we'll always defend that. Well, pastor, why is that important? It starts with creation. Listen to me, church. If there's no literal Adam and Eve, then there's no rebellion because there's nobody to rebel. And if there's no literal Adam and Eve in creation and there's no rebellion, what do we need redeemed from? Redemption, the third pillar in a biblical worldview, larger story. And if there's no creation of an Adam and Eve, meaning there's no rebellion, and meaning that if there's no creation, no rebellion, there's no need for redemption, then what, pray tell, are we restoring it to? We will always battle for a literal Adam and Eve. If you mythologize and allegorize Adam, go ahead and do it with the last Adam Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians. Because he's not real either. And we all know who that was. 
No, no, no. We're not going there. A literal Adam and Eve. It starts in Genesis 1.1. God said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I said what I said. Pastor, why are you doubling down? I said what I said. A biblical worldview will lead you home. The, the age has been deceived. This age has been deceived by a lot of arguments, a lot of worldview information. You've been sold a can of goods, a load of goods that sold you down, sold you down the river. We will come against that. We will battle against that at Stones Hill Community Church. We will not accept that, especially when it comes to negating what the Bible teaches. Now listen, slide number 28, we'll, we'll wrap it up here this morning. Slide number 28, Scott Sanders, Bloomington, Indiana, professor emeritus in the English Department of Indiana University. Some of your students, some of your kids were students there and probably had his classes. But he realized that there's a lot of despair in the world, like his children, his students always come to him and say, you know, Professor Sanders, how do we deal with the despair in the world? And he says, I look in those eyes and there's nobody home. And he, he experienced it with his own son. It's, it's a June morning and uh, the Rocky Mountains of Colorado called their name. So they go, 17-year-old Jesse is his son. They're mad at each other. They're hiking so fast. And Jesse just starts, starts hiking fast ahead of Scott. And Scott's gasping the thin alpine air. He's used to the mugginess of southern Indiana. So he's trying to keep up with his son, Jesse, and, and they planned this trip because Scott was trying to run his own, Jesse was trying to run his own life, and Scott was trying to figure out how to let go as a dad. And so they thought, he thought a hike might, together might help them. Well, they get in a big fight on their first hike. And uh, Scott wants to camp on dry dirt. And Jesse wants to hike higher up and camp on snow because he wanted to use his new snowshoes. And they had just passed some grandparents with toddlers behind them. And so Jesse, the 17-year-old son, didn't feel like it was wild enough. And so, you know, you're going to spoil the trip because I won't agree to camp on snow, right? That's what the, the dad was arguing with him about. And, and with that question from dad, Jesse turned and he just glared at Scott, his dad. He said, well, you're the one who spoiled it. You're always ruining it. You always ruin, every, ruin everything, dad. And, of course, we know kind of what a 17-year-old's thinking. You know, you want to, when you go on a wilderness hike with your dad, you want to dodge avalanches, right? You want to narrowly escape grizzly attacks. Saying hello to some aging grandparents with kids behind them is not your idea of a wilderness hike. So Jesse was ticked. And Scott finally gave up chasing him, and he hiked way out ahead. All the beauty of the wildlife, the mountains, um, the waterfalls, the lakes, the canyons, the whitewater rapids, the smell of pine sap. I love the smell of pine sap. All that being obliterated by a father-son fight. Right in the middle of all that beauty. You ever been there? A big family brouhaha right in the middle of God's gorgeous creation. Scott finally caught up to Jesse, the 17-year-old son, looking for an adventure. Well, how do I ruin everything then? Jesse got honest in those Colorado Rockies. Dad, you hate everything that's fun. You ever heard that before? Movies, video games. You hate my music. You hate snowmobiles. You hate jet skis. And now he's on a roll, okay? He's picking up steam. 17-year-old in the Rockies, picking up steam. You hate cars because they pollute the air. You, you say fast food is poisoning our bodies and TV is poisoning our minds. And, and you think the internet is just another scam for selling stuff. And you think business is a conspiracy to rape the earth. Dad, your view of things is totally dark. And you make me feel like the, 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 the planet is dying and people are to blame and there's nothing that can be done about it. And there's no room for hope, Dad. 
I've got a lot of living still to do. I'm 17 years of age for crying out loud. And I have to believe, Dad, that there's a, a way we can get out of this mess on this planet. Otherwise, what's the point? Jesse brought it home. Scott said it got his attention. And he went back to the time when he was a boy. And he read the Bible. Scott the dad. He read the Bible. And he got a wrong impression of God in the Old Testament. So he turned to science. Science is a good thing. But he turned to it with questions that science could not provide. He thought he would get some answers. He said, this was what I got. The dad, when he was a boy, this was what I got. And as a result, he lived it out with his family. Back when I was a boy, the secular worldview told me that our universe began in the void with a burst of energy between 10 and 20 billion years ago. And it has been expanding, proliferating new forms and cooling down ever since. And among the forms congealing out of energy and dust were galaxies like the Milky Way and stars like our sun and planets like our earth. And on this planet, at least, at least most likely on perhaps even on others, planets throughout space, matter coalesced into organisms that could produce, reproduce themselves. And these organisms in turn gave rise through gradual small changes in the rigors of survival to millions upon millions of new living forms, many of them short-lived, some of them durable, all of them capable of sensing in however modest fashion some portion of the universe. And to varying degrees, the more complex organisms developed an inward space, he says, for thinking and feeling, and at least one species, our own, that space has grown so large that we can entertain the crazy ambition of comprehending the whole universe. When you view life that way, you're going to have a 17-year-old look at you someday and say, how in the world do you drive meaning and purpose and worthiness and love and beauty out of that? He writes in his book, Are We Alone Without Guidance in a Mindless World of Atoms? Or is it possible that behind all we see, there's a mind and a being, a way of things with which we might align our lives? And I'm like, he's going to go to Jesus. I just know it. it's going to come on the next page. He says our answers to those questions will have a profound effect on how we lead our lives. And he talks about a holy being, some generic creator of some sort. He gets so close. But he never gets to Jesus. Slide number 10. Slide number 10 for me. For in him, Paul wrote in Colossians, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Yes, praise God, you've accepted Jesus as your savior, but have you accepted him as your creator? What Genesis 1-1 does it draws a line in the sand and it asks you to step over the line. A Christian worldview says that God is the author of a universe. Elohim is a Trinitarian hint. Okay, it's actually in the plural used with the singular verb. It's a plural majesty. In the beginning, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, God created the heavens and the earth. We're accountable to him. We're now part of a grand story. We'll someday triumph over all evil through Jesus who was there and instrumental when the other persons of the Trinity, when everything got made. It's on this basis. I look at you this morning and I say, you're astronomical. You're galactical. 
your orbital. You're a, metaphorically, you're a star. Will you? Okay, pastor. Is that what we're going to do? We're going to pull Megan? Thank you. That was nice. Some nice platitudes. Let's go look for some frogs. Or will you look at this? And will you say, you know what? When I am tempted to deface this body God gave me, I'm going to fill a check because I'm made in the image of God. When, when, when I am tempted, right, to ruin, to, to hook up with people and to ruin a marriage, I'm going to fill a check because I'm made in the image of God. When, when there's a little baby, God's nested inside me. I'm going to fill a check when I understand this. I'm going to fill a check when it comes time to either terminate or allow it to exist. Do you see how the worldviews make a difference in how you live it out? So this morning, Jesus stands here, a Lord over all creation. And it is supernatural and it is beautiful. And I realize there's lots of questions and that's fine. But the invitation this morning is to find him and to receive him and to step over the line and say, Jesus, thank you for being my savior. I need saved. My sins are great. There are many. Grace is so needed in my life. Thank you, but Lord, I want to go back even further and I want to say thank you for making me. Thank you for authoring me. I have belonged to you all my life and never knew it. I'm yours. And you're mine. Praise God. And I don't have to kill myself and I don't have to drug myself and I don't have just to waste my life because when I see you, I see you. When I learn more about you, you it reflects back to me because I'm made in your image. It reflects back to me what I'm supposed to be. And when I get hooked up with you and connected with you, then I understand me better. And so this morning, church, come home. Come home. Step into this flow of this flow of revelation, what God has given to us in the Bible. And let that be the beginning of new life, a new shaping of the lens. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much this morning for this day. And I, maybe I look out and I see some Scott and some Jesse's maybe. Maybe there's some pretty intense conversations going on right now in some families. And Father, I just pray for when we get these worldview questions discussed in our families that You'll do some special things here. And, and, uh, and somehow in this discussion, that dads and moms would, would, would have this biblical worldview that's so positive and so affirming and so uplifting. And I didn't even share everything this morning, but there's so much more evidence for this. And so Father, thank you for how special we are as human beings. And I just pray we would just speak that specialness and that worth over our families. And I just pray you'd be with the young people as well. Father, maybe they, they have issues with mom and dad. Maybe they want to fight about music and movies and clothing and, and internet use and smartphones, all these things. But I just pray this morning that beyond all of these arguments, they would see this important eternal truth that they've been made in the image of God, that they belong to you, and their calling is to reflect that. And that they would live their life in such a way, we all would live our life in such a way that we would reflect your glory, not tarnish it. That our mirror would not be broken and shattered, but it would be put back together through Jesus. And today, on the authority of your word, we double down on this truth. It's a breath of fresh air, for if we don't say it, no one else will. And so this morning we speak it. Now you take it and multiply it. Help it to find a riveted, sure place in the hearts and minds of our people. And set us free to live in the supernatural of God. Who wants to do these great things in and through us.
We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Will you stand with me? You've been a great group this morning. Now go live in his peace and his joy and shine bright. Have some conversations for the glory of God. Amen. You're dismissed.